I started training problem horses in live, at live events. You know, horses are one to rear, horses are one to buck, horses yeah. are one to run off, you know, dangerous shit. So I said, this is what you're all dealing with. Let's just bring it out in front of the barn and talk about how we're gonna fix it, how we're gonna do it. And that got me very, very popular because it turned out that a lot of people were frustrated like I was, which is, hey, I feel frustrated because nobody talks about the ugly shit that's gonna go down and you're actually doing it. So yeah. it was extremely well received. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. Today, I'm so excited. I have on a guest that is is well known. He's certainly a personality in the horse training world and beyond. Clinton Anderson from Down Under Horsemanship. I'm privileged to call him a friend, and I've spent time working with him and truly appreciate what he brings to the table and his authenticity around horse training when others kind of hide how they really do it and uh, try to show their clients something different. But Clinton is truly authentic and definitely unique and, again, just stands out in his field. And I was excited to be able to chat with him. So enjoy this conversation with Clinton Anderson from Down Under Horsemanship. Hello, Clinton. Thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Great to be here, Heidi. Well, I am so excited to talk to you. I've I've worked with you in person, met you, and always enjoyed how you approach horse training and what you offer to people. And one of the things I always thought was great, and we as trainers, we all know this, but you've said, I'm a people trainer. And mm-hmm. I always thought that was interesting. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Well, you know, I train people to train their horses. So, you know, the horse is basically just the vehicle to get to the people to help people. You know, I have a little saying, horses teach people and then people teach horses. So when you first learn, a horse hopefully will teach you what to do. If you buy the correct one, an old broke horse that knows his job, he'll teach you how to have confidence and how to ride. Once you know that, then you can get a young green horse to teach that horse what to do. So right. I, you know, I'm really in the people training business more than the horse training business, you know, as far as that's where I made my money is in teaching people. Yeah. And one of the things, so as you know, we've met, um, I do more specialty training. I do trick training, liberty training, my dancing horse uh, type stuff. But, and I've done a couple videos. I have immense respect for the programs you put out there because just to to accomplish one video is a, is a huge undertaking and your sets of videos and the method itself is what I always turn people to, to get their horses trained. Cause the found, we can't skip the foundation. I don't care if you, and you, I'm preaching to the choir here, yes. but if you do nothing else with the horse to, to secure its well being for life, whether it lives with you or not. And I preach this, they have to have a foundation and your method accomplishes that. And the other thing you do that totally sets you apart, in my opinion, as, as the lead, you know, the leader of the pack here, you actually show people everything. If it doesn't work this way, you explain why it's not working and to go back and do this or be more thorough. I think there are a lot of other programs out there that don't tell the full truth that if you just do this, your horse is going to do this. And I remember you saying, I can't remember if it was on a video or I saw you in person say this, but when you were a kid, you looked at a book and it said, if I do this, my horse is going to do this. 
I did that. My horse reared up, tried to eat me and didn't do it right. Mm-hmm. I felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. Your program really is thorough so that other people aren't going to go through that. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. You're honest yeah, with your basically, program. Basically, I had a lot of frustration as a kid because any of the books, and there wasn't very many videos back in those days, sure. you know, which in the, in the late 80s or you know, late middle 80s, there wasn't a lot of horse training videos out there. There was some books and shit, but books always made it sound easy. You know, do this and you get that, right. which in theory makes sense. But when you go out to do it, is anything but success. The horse was terrible. I was terrible. It was a complete clusterfuck. And everybody felt frustrated and felt like a failure. And so for many years, I thought I was the problem, why my horses weren't doing as good as the book said. Because the book said, lunge it to the left and then change directions. And when you change directions, they behave. Well, I can't even get my son to go in a circle, let alone change direction. So for many years, I beat myself up as a kid because I thought, well, I'm just extra stupid. I'm extra hopeless at this. I'm not very good with horses because nobody else is struggling. It wasn't until I went to basically go to Gordon McKinley when I was 13 years old to the horse trainer, mentor of mine. And I actually got to see kind of what I call behind the barn secrets, behind the barn, what happens behind the barn, which is, yes, horses don't behave sometimes. Yes, horses will often do the wrong thing, even when they're good horses. Right. It doesn't mean they're a bad horse. It doesn't mean they're trying to be a piece of shit. It just means that they're going to do the wrong thing, more than right thing, when you're first teaching them. So it's not that I was bad. If This was very normal behavior. Well, when I found out all of this, I almost felt betrayed and cheated. Like, okay, I was lied to all these years that horses would just magically be horses if you do this shit. When in reality, even the best horse trainers in the world have trouble with horses from time to time. Even the best horses in the world will make poor decisions from time to time. It's called horse training. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to be embarrassed. There's nothing to be ashamed about. It's called work the problem until the solution comes forward. So I've got held then on from that point on kind of exposing the horsemanship industry to what it really is. This is how you get these results. So I kind of cut my teeth on quote unquote problem horses. Cause you remember when I came here to America, when I was 21, John was very big. Pat Rowley was very big. Monty was very big yes. for the most part, not so much John, but for the most part, everybody used trained horses in their demonstrations. Yes. And the reason they use trained demonstration horses is because it looks fun. It looks magical. It looks beautiful. Everybody's fucking yeah. crying. The women are crying. The horses crying. Everybody's one big happy kumbaya party. Well, it, 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 that's not how it started. That's the end result, which is beautiful partnership, but that's not how it started. So what I did is to separate myself from the pack, I started training problem horses in live, at live events. You know, horses are one to rare, horses are one to buck, horses yeah. are one to run off, you know, dangerous shit. So I said, this is what you're all dealing with. Let's just bring it out in front of the barn and talk about how we're going to fix it, how we're going to do it. And that got me very, very popular because it turned out that a lot of people were frustrated like I was, which is, hey, I feel frustrated because nobody talks about the ugly shit that's going to go down and you're actually doing it. So it was extremely well received. And I did that on YouTube for many years, you know, work with problem horses. So I kind of found a niche that I could, it was, it was an educational slash entertainment show that I could get a horse that went from bucking people off and an hour and a half later, we're riding it without any trouble. So I kind of cut my teeth on problem horses, which in a lot of ways was really good because it got me a lot of respect. It got me a lot of popularity. The only negative to it, and I don't really think it's a negative, but some of the negative is 
if people want to, but people would hate on me, they just think that's my method working with a problem horse. So, you know, if I've got a horse that just literally tried to eat my face off, okay, a 10, 10 year old stallion that's been biting people his whole life and he goes to eat on my face and I have to get a stick and whack him on the ass three or four times and get his feet moving around a round pen, right. people will cut that clip out and say, this is Clint Anderson. This is what he does to horses. That's not true. Yeah. You took out, you took 10 seconds of a horse that was trying to eat my face off and you said that's what his whole method is based on. And that's not true. So anybody can cut video and audio up to make it fit their narratives. Oh, Does yes. that make sense? So I don't, it doesn't really, I don't really care about it, but that's how my haters try to get me is they try to say, this is what he's all about. They didn't see the other 59 minutes and 50 seconds of me working with this horse, rewarding the right behavior, making the wrong behavior difficult. And what people have got to remember is, when I was fixing those problem horses, and I don't do it anymore, but in my young days, days it was a big challenge to me. I loved it. I got off on the whole experience. What you got to remember is, I've got an hour and a half to fix this horse in front of three thousand people. Yep. I didn't. I don't have the luxury of having ten years to fix it because it took ten years to develop this problem. That's right. I don't have the luxury of ten years to fix it. So yeah, at times I might have to be a little extreme. Yeah, at times. I've got to get some shit going on. I've got an hour and a half. I can't bore people to death and say, hey, everybody, I didn't train him to kill people, but, you know, there's 10 years of bad behavior here. I've I got 10 years to fix it, correct? Er, you're done. Yeah. You get, you get what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm already set up with the odds against me. And, and, and remember, back in those days, Heidi, and still to today, nobody else had the balls to do that. I know. Nobody else had the balls to film a 10-year-old stallion trying to fucking eat your lunch. That's yeah. some dangerous shit. You know, your dad is somebody I have a lot of respect for and, and trained animals all over the world. And he told me some pretty fucked up stories of some animals that were highly dangerous. Yeah. Lions, tigers, elephants that were, were killing people. And he had to go in there and fix it. Yeah. That's not an easy task to do. Right. And to your you know point, I mean? it took years for people to, to create these problems. And of course, you know this, Clinton. You actually texted me when Ringling <clears throat> closed and had a cryptic message about the animal rights community because they do exactly that to the, of course, circus animal trainers, elephants yes. and horses, all of it. They take, they take a sound, a piece of video, they edit it creatively. They put whacking sounds in it yes. and sound effects. So we, I think that's where you and I have a meeting of the minds because we understand that. And we also are not afraid to back down from saying that, you know, we didn't cause this problem, but we can fix it. And by the yeah. way, the fix doesn't take, yeah, you were bold enough to do it in front of people, but the fix doesn't take long when you exert leadership, you put your shoulders back and you say, today's a new day, buddy. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the problems with, I train dogs and horses now. I'm a little impaired with my hands, so yes. doing a bit more dogs, but um to say today's the day, and then it's the reinforcement of that change that takes the time, and people yes. don't want to put it put in the time. They want the fix, but they don't want to put in the time to and, do and it. That, and that's that's fine. And I tell people this: there's only three ways to get a well-trained horse. You buy it trained, you pay somebody else to train it, or you train it yourself. Yep. Pick the poison. It yeah. doesn't train itself in the pasture. It doesn't train itself in the dog kennel. You have yeah. to, some. You're paying, you know, I always make this joke, when you buy a really well-trained horse that's expensive, you're not buying an expensive horse. You're buying the hundreds of hours that went in to train the horse. That's exactly. The horse is free. Yeah. The horse is literally free. You're paying for the 700 man hours over three years that it took somebody an hour and a half a day to train that animal to be that way. Now, obviously, that has to be maintained. Yeah. Just like 
a brand new $200,000 Mercedes van still needs maintenance. Still yeah, needs the oil absolutely. change, still needs tires rotated, still needs an annual service. Even the machines that are new need servicing. So what makes us right. think an animal that's well-trained does not need maintenance? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm talking with Clinton Anderson from Down Under Horsemanship, and we're talking about horse training. Clinton, one of the things I think is so dangerous now that I'm seeing in um, is the loved cookies. If I, you know, I rescued this horse, I got an off the track thoroughbred or a Mustang. And by the way, 90% of the time, in my experience, the wrong people get a hold of those horses, right? So, yes, and, and they're going to rehabilitate them with love and cookies. And I, I, how I, I'm sure you too, I could, uh, I could be a millionaire by the amount of time somebody said, you can't use a whip with that horse. You can't touch his head. You can't, I was like, well, let's start there. Cause everything else must be great. Yes. <laughs> but what yes. do you think about the love and cookies is, do you see this becoming the, I know the people who come to you could probably a bit more serious, but do you see this becoming more of a problem? We've become so emotional about animals. Oh, very much so. I've seen it go, you know, I'm kind of proud of this. I'm kind of a last man standing. So when I got over in 1997, the whole natural horsemanship wave was really big. It was moving along. Okay. And there was a whole big hidden culture between all the clinicians. It was kind of like an inside joke, really, that who could come across as the most gentlest and the most loving and the most lovey dovey and basically steal the most money from the most fucking women. That, that was really the joke, ladies. That was the joke amongst all the clinicians. Yeah. I didn't play the joke. Yeah. I wasn't in on it from day one. I hated the joke. I said, sometimes you got to love on them. That's important. And there's other times where you've got to correct them and reprimand them for shitty behavior too. Right. So I never played the game. So how I stood out from the pack was being very real and very genuine. And it was very well adapted, adopted. I, I always said, when you have to be a firmer with a horse in public, as long as you're a good communicator and you're explaining what you're doing and why you're doing it, 95% of people will handle it just fine. Yep. Okay. But if you're reprimanding a horse for being disrespectful or being dangerous and you're not talking about why you're doing it, how come you're doing it, what, you know, reward the right behavior, uh, make the wrong behavior difficult. If you don't explain it, people can take the wrong impression from it. Okay. So I kind of, I felt like, when I first got over here, I used to get this a lot when I did clinics. I have not got it many years, I think for two reasons, mainly because the culture is changing, but remind me to come back to how the culture is changing back. The culture is changing from the whole lovey-dovey, let's love them to death. And I kind of was part of that culture change. Now, let's train the damn horse. Let's be safe. Let's be respectful. Let's take care of our horses, but let's fucking train the horse so we get to live to see another day, not get yeah. killed by some bitch, okay? So I used to get this a lot in the early days. Again, you know, I'm going up against John Lyons, America's most trusted horseman, Pat Ferrelli, love language and leadership and, and all the shit he goes on with, okay? And now I'm the fucking rogue Australian coming out and saying, hey, when your horse does something good, reward him and love on him. And when he does something wrong, whip his ass and do something about it. You know, I'm being a little paraphrasing here and a little extreme, but you get my drift. Yeah. Well, I used to get this at clinics all the time. I do a three-day horsemanship clinic and a little lady, you know, the clinic starts at eight o'clock. She'd run up to me at 7.45 and she typically, you know, I'm stereotyping here a little bit but to, to paint a picture, but she weighs 110 pounds with rocks and pockets and wet. So she's a little old skinny old lady, 65 years old. She runs up to me in a panic. I just want to spend a few minutes with you to talk about my horse, Precious. Now, Precious was abused. I got her from a rescue and she was abused. And I need to tell you something because you're going to want to tailor make your clinic to, pay, to 
you know, on Precious's needs. Yeah. Precious can't do what all the other horses can do because she's been abused. And guess what? She's abused by a man and men in black hats. Yeah. We'll black hat. So she's going to really freak out when she sees you because you're a man, black hat. That's who abused her. So, you know, I'm letting you know now so that you can think about what special needs you want Precious to have. So back in these days, I'm trying to build a business. So I'm trying to be a little more politically correct. And I'm trying to fucking, I'm trying to get along as best I can and still be me. Okay. So what I'd say to her is I'd say, Hey, listen, Betty, thank you so much for coming up to me and tell me about Precious's needs. But I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to play a game with me. I want you to pretend that you know nothing about Precious, that I sold her to you this morning. You, you've never seen this horse until today. And when you, and I sold her to you. And when you start asking me questions where I got the horse from or how old she is or what her background is, guess what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you I know nothing about it because I won her last night in a poker game. I was drunk and I bet a guy and I got the horse's payment. So today I'm just selling it to you because I want fucking money. Okay. So I know nothing about it. I don't know her age. I don't know where it came from or whatever. So this little lady, she'd like back up her fucking eyes would get big in her head and she'd be like, what's all this about? And I'd say, here's what I want you to do. As long as you keep carrying around these big bags of excuses of why your horse has shitty behavior, it will always have shitty behavior. You make an excuse for everything it did. So then I'd say, is your horse being abused now? Oh no, I would never abuse my horse. I said, great. Today's a good day. Any day there's not a horse or a dog or an animal being abused is a day to celebrate. So congratulations. You don't abuse the horse anymore. But guess what? If we turn Precious out in a field with 10 other horses, would they treat her differently? Would they give her extra feed? Would they give her extra shelter? Would they comfort her because she was abused? Hell no. They'd kick the shit out of her. They'd do what horses do. They'd establish a dominant pecking order. Yep. So if you ever really want to see how horses naturally act, it's pretty simple. Go stick one bale of hay in a field with 10 horses and sit back and watch what the fuck happens. That's natural <laughs> horsemanship right there. They're going to establish a pecking order. That's They're not right. going to sit and debate it. They're not going to sit in a fucking human pyramid and discuss who gets to eat first and what's fair. They're going to establish a hierarchy from the most dominant horse all the way to the least dominant horse. And they're going to get that pecking order established within two or three days pretty solidly. So I'd say, so if you'll trust me, Betty, and just do what I tell you to do and act like you know nothing about this horse, I'll tell you what's going to happen. In three days, not only is your horse going to be over 99.9% of these problems she's giving you, but she will actually be better than most of the other horses in the clinic. Yeah. That's if you trust me. I'm asking you to trust me to follow my leadership. I'm really good at this shit. Trust me, I'll do it, okay? Now, if you don't trust me and you don't want to do what I say, that's okay, but you have to leave because I can't cater my program to fix your horse because that's the wrong way to go about doing this. So I would say nine out of 10 of these Bettys would trust my judgment. One out of 10 would get their feelings butt hurt and they'd leave, okay? But nine out of 10 that did trust me, by the third day of the clinic, their smile is ear to ear. They are the most happiest, confident owners I've ever seen. They love their horses. Their horses are stopped being jackasses. Their horses are stopped yeah. being head shy. Their horses are no longer frightened of men and a cat. Their fucking horses are no longer frightened of a whip. They, they're just confident, broke horses. Yeah. So that's why I always tell people, as long as you keep carrying around big bags of excuses, nothing's going to fucking change. 
So that's how I would handle that. So I don't, I haven't got that for years and years now. I've got a lot of it in the beginning. I think I don't get it anymore because people just know what I'm like now. They know I'm not going to bend. They know I'm not going to coddle to them, et cetera. There's a certain group of horse owners that they want coddle. They want the lovey-dovey, clicker training, tricks, cookies, et cetera. That fits their lifestyle. And guess what? I'm okay with it. Do you know why I'm okay with it? Because I haven't got to ride their fucking horse. Yeah, no I'm kidding. I'm not the one to get bucked off on the trail. That's I'm right. not going to be the one that gets put in hospital. Because one thing about the people that are what I call natural tree huggers, okay, that's where a lot of these people eventually end up is in hospital. They get hurt by these horses. They get killed. Shit happens to them. Absolutely. So what I do is I tell them, if you don't like me, that's okay. Go find a horsemanship guy that's going to cater to your emotions. He's going to tell you the, the cookies are the best way. He's going to tell. So again, there's no right and wrong way to train a horse. I don't ever tell anybody my way is the right way or even the only way. I just tell people, this is the way that works for me. This is the way that gets results. This is the way that gets results for millions of people all over the world. Follow it if you want and don't follow it if you don't want. Yeah. So I don't tell people my way is the best. It's just what works for me. So there are a certain group of, of people that really play up to the emotion of women and horses. Great. Knock yourself out. The reason I don't give a shit is because I'm not held accountable to the results. Yes. Here's the funny part about the clinician. I'm not going to name that do this. I know more personally. I know what the fuck they do, Heidi, behind the barn. I know. I'm well aware. There's no the secret they, sauce. There's no Clinton. secrets amongst professional peers. So I, I just have to chuckle because what they say on camera in front of these ladies Agreed. is so fucking polar opposite to what these motherfuckers do, do. behind the barn. It's incredible. There is no secrets amongst peers. We all know what we're doing. And really, in reality, all of us are doing the same shit to some degree. If we Forward get the job done, right. we're doing it more alike than differently. There's no wait, question. Wait. Forwards, backwards, left and right. We're moving the horse's feet. We're establishing leadership. We're establishing confidence. We're establishing a pin order. Yes. We're all doing the same shit. We all just package it a different way or or different humor or different thing, but we're all doing it. But yeah. but the, the women that think that these people that are following really do this shit just blows my mind. I've known them all for 20 fucking years. Oh, I agree. I know exactly what they do. So if they want to go follow that, that's okay because I'm not held accountable for when the horse bucks them off. They're in hospital now. My job is to keep people safe. Yeah. My job is to keep people safe to where they can enjoy their horses, enjoy their family, and come back at the end of the ride. You know, if it was about money, I could, you know, I could make a lot more money if I was less abrasive and told people what they wanted to hear. Okay, but but when you water down the truth, you also water down the transformation. It's yeah. that simple. When you water down the truth, you water down the transformation. So telling people what they want to hear might keep them liking you and spending money with you, but it sure as shit doesn't get them results. And ultimately in the end, if you don't get people results, people will typically unfollow you. People will not follow your method anymore or do what you're doing. Right. And the other thing is it's really harmful to our culture. We see it with animals and kids. And I think the people who follow along and go down that road and then have these disrespectful horses I have a saying that the shelters and rescues aren't full of overbred animals. There, there's more undertrained animals. So if you want to secure your animal's well-being for life, whether or not, you know, the forever home or this horse is never going to leave me, it's going to retire with me. We don't have a crystal ball. 
I might not come home tonight, you know? Yes. And, and if my horse, when I train an animal, horse and dog again, they're, they're going to be fine whoever they live with. And they're, if they end up in any kind of a shelter, they're going to be the first ones out because they're going to behave. They're not going to freak out in any scenarios. They're going to be comfortable. If you look at them and say, you're fine, they're going to be okay. You know, hell, I work beside Tiltal Whirls with, the, you know, my Liberty mm-hmm. horses. And yes. we don't get to go to horse places to work. We work in ridiculous places. And, you know, they vilify the circus animal trainers. And I said in my very first podcast, I'm at your house training your dog to sit or your horse to not eat you or not get bucked off. And you have a strong opinion about circus animals. Yet we walked 75 animals through the freaking Holland Tunnel. You know, Mm -hmm. with a handful Mm -hmm. of people, you do that Mm -hmm. by training. You do that by being very methodical. And again, the method, your foundation training program is absolutely that. That's the one I always turn people to because you will get the job done. I look at down on a horsemanship like your general doctor, you know, general well-being, he will fix you. But if you need, you know, ear surgery, brain surgery, heart surgery, you go to a specialist. Yeah. So that's what I kind of considered you and your dad. You were specialty in trick horses, liberty horses, circus horses. So when I wanted to learn that part of horsemanship, I came to experts in that part of horsemanship. If you want to learn to train a cutting horse, I'm not your guy. Go to a guy that is really good at training cutting horses. So I don't try to tell people I'm the be all and end all of everything at horsemen. I'm what you call your general horsemanship program. Yeah. Produce a horse that's well, well behaved, respectful, obedient, calm, likes his job. Yeah. And it wants to be a happy partner. Yeah. After that, if you want to start specializing in show jumping, reining, cutting, whatever, trick horse training, go find somebody that specializes in that world because they're better than me because that's where they put their time, energy, and focus. So I don't ever try to come across as I'm the be all and end all of everything and horsemanship is under my umbrella. I'm a general horsemanship instructor when it really comes down to it. And then after that, specialize if you so choose. Yeah, and the horses, the method produces and your own horses. You brought Mindy and Diaz down when we uh, you came down to meet my dad and uh, you wouldn't find better trained. You had a third one as well, but just, I mean, it was such, my dad enjoyed it so much because he put him in Liberty harness. I know you remember this and cause you wanted to see him work multiple and yes. they went right to work because again, that foundation was just exceptional. And they were like, what would you like me to do next? Paid attention, you know, had their yes. ears uh, ready to go. And uh, it was, it was wonderful. I want to go back. You said to remind you about this, how the culture is shifting. So I see, a, the change. I see a little change again now, and it goes through waves. You know, I've been sure. doing this for 28 years now. I'm 47. I left high school at 15 and started training horses professionally then. So I see enough, I've seen different ways, but I see another wave coming back and I saw it probably 15 years ago. The whole clicker horse training got really big. Yeah. Clicker training with seals and, and sea world and shit. Well, they introduced that to the horse world. Those people are no longer doing it. So I see lots of trends. Does that make sense? The people that were really big about doing that. Yeah. I remember it was a husband and wife team. They're actually pretty nice people. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but they were nice people. Um, but they're no longer doing this anymore in the horse world. Right. Again, you don't get people fucking results. They will quit you. Right. So the whole clicker thing and cookies thing went off like a grass fire on a hill in California in the middle of summer. It went off like gangbusters. <laughs> Who doesn't want to give your horse fucking cookies for Christ's sake? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the most fun part of the day. So you get to train your horse with a clicker and a fucking cookie. Who yeah. don't want part of that shit? 
But ultimately it didn't get results. So when it doesn't get results, people back out. Now when I say results, that's all relative. I'm talking about horses that are really obedient, horses that do, like you said, go in parades, go in the horse show ring, go go do some stressful things and remain calm, yeah. respectful. So I see a big trend now back towards the cookies and clicker and this kind of stuff. Does oh, that yeah. make sense? On TikTok with the young teenage girls, things like that, okay? You know, people that have read three horse training books that think this is how horse training actually happens, okay? So, again, it ain't my cup of tea, I don't care if that's what they want to do. Keep doing it. I don't try to cancel them. I don't try to hate on them. No. I'm just saying this is, I don't like, I don't like it, but we're, we're having that discussion now. That's the only reason I'm bringing it up. Yeah. I couldn't give a fuck what they do with their horse, really. Cause it's, it's not going to bother me or my people. Cause we don't do it. Cause we're not going to get results. Cause 150 years ago, a lot of the training techniques historically for horses were kind of abusive. Yeah. You know, you choke them down, choke them up to a post, you flip them over, tie all their legs up together, um, cover them up with a tarp. Barbaric shit. Yeah. Really it was. Okay. But so now 150 years later, we don't, we know horse psychology now. We know what works with a prey animal. We know how to interact with them without going to those extremes. Right. Which is an awesome thing. Very awesome thing. But now, again, because we like to fuck things up, we're going to go so far the other direction now yeah. that we've turned into cookies and treats and clickers because we just can't stay in the middle, which is good horsemanship. That's what I try to be. It's just good common sense horsemanship. Right. Reward the right behavior. Love on your horse when he does the right thing. And when he does the wrong thing, make that uncomfortable. It could be physically. It could be mentally. It could be both. And when he, as soon as he does what you want again, reward him again for that. Right. Okay. So good common horsemanship. So I, I am glad that I will be dead in 50 years because you won't be able to train a horse in America uh, without being behind the barn somewhere in 50 years time. Again, we've just, it's like everything. We go far too far. So I see another swing back that direction. I've seen a couple of them in my horsemanship career. Yeah. I don't, worry about it because it'll always come it'll always rebound to some point i agree and i don't think we hurt, we don't hear from the we're hearing from the vocal minority right the, yes, the press that's why i don't we're not hearing from the mainstream it. people who actually feel more like you and i about things you know it's most level. people that are happy don't leave comments because they're happy right Unhappy people feel entitled to tell the world why they're unhappy, just in life in general. Yeah, Happy exactly. people don't walk around with a megaphone and say, I'm having the greatest fucking day of my life. Everybody look at me. I'm having a great day. <laughs> right. We're unhappy busy having a great go, day, so we're not yeah, telling happy people. Happy people go around with a megaphone. I, I'm having a bad day. Everybody's shitty to me. My life sucks. Poor yeah. fucking me. So, you know, even so, when, even with my sponsors, they all know me now, but I, when they, you know, in the beginning, I'd say, listen, if you're going to be fucking pee hearted and you get the first hate email that I don't like Anderson, I don't like his language, I'm not going to buy your product, don't sponsor me. Right. You better have a backbone. But see, I did a little experiment with this whole thing years ago um, with Richie Industries. They've been with me for many, many years. They make a phenomenal horse water, animal water in general. Yeah. And, um, they said some joke at a tour about Arabian horses, okay? And I make fun of all breeds. I make fun of quarter horses, Arabians, yeah. thoroughbreds, you name it, I've got a joke for them because I have a good sense of humor. It's called make fun of yourself. So I say some joke about Arabian horses and, and, and the crowd gets all, no, not in the crowd. There's a few people in the crowd that didn't like it. 
So they start calling all my sponsors saying that if they don't fire me, they're not going to buy their products anymore. Yep. So Richie called me and said, hey, heads up, there's this hot business group out there that are boycotting you and not wanting to buy our products anymore. And I said, I'll tell you what, they actually don't buy your products and it's not a big group of people. It's three fucking ladies with a big mouth and a computer. That's so right. I said, I'll tell you how we'll smoke them out. You ready for this? I said, here's what I want you to do. Anybody that calls your call service center that complains about this and wants you to fire me over this joke, okay, I get their name, address, and tell them phone number or details. And I want you to tell them this, ma'am, if you will take a photo of you standing beside your Richie Waterer, because they all say, I buy your products, but if you do this, I'm going to quit buying them. Yeah. I said, they don't even buy your products. But I said, this is how you flush them out. Tell them that if they will take a photo beside their Richie Waterer with, a, with today's newspaper, hold up today's newspaper with the date, and they will send that in to you, you will give them a $250 voucher towards any Richie product. But I'll pay the $250. Clinton Anderson write you a check for $250. I love it. <laughs> Guess how many people sent in an email with them standing beside Richie? Zero. Zero. Yep. After that, Richie don't give a fuck anymore. They learnt their lesson. Yep. Because it was three ladies that got other ladies stirred up in, in their hollow voice. Exactly right. Sense? And they have a platform now with social media. And they have media. a platform through social Jeez. media. But yeah. reality is those women didn't own Richie products. They were never going to buy Richie products. That's why the people that hate on me, I don't get upset about it because they're never going to buy my products. Right. So why bother trying to change their mind? Well, the, the danger true? is, Clinton, like for you, that's the case with the rodeo, the circuses, the medical research, all the things I've done on all the different areas on my podcast, yes. all industries that are vilified by the animal <laughs> rights community, they, they're canceling those, you know what I mean? They're putting yeah. people out of business. They go to the coliseums and say, you can't bring a circus with animals in here. They yeah. go to the sponsors. They, they, they're playing hardball. And again, it's a vocal minority, but the rest of them don't want to speak up because it would be the appearance that they're actually causing harm to animals when they don't actually believe that. But oh, that's when I, the when culture. I stood up, when, you, when, the, when Ringlands got canceled, I'd made a Facebook post about it. That yes. was sad. I, I got a ton of fucking hate mail over that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't give a fuck. But they're fuck not them. even the people who go see the circus. And my, my no. tagline on the podcast is, Go see for yourself, right? Oh, Go to I the farm. To, I, your dad took me behind the scenes of several circuses. Yeah. Fuck, those, those animals live better than most human beings, for Christ's sake. Right. And they're federally you regulated. You know what I mean? What, we can't hide behind the barn. And how they're housed and how they're, they have a 24-hour veterinarian on call that yeah. lives with them, for fuck's sake. Yeah. That, that elephant farts the wrong direction. Somebody's over there taking its temperature. <laughs> exactly you, you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's like, oh, my God. I said, can I fucking retire Move to the circus. I'll just live in the cage beside the lion. Fuck him. He's got a good life. You I, know what I mean. I interviewed. So I over that. I didn't care. I interviewed the CEO of the Iditarod race. You and he would get along well. And he said um, the best place because people like those poor dogs. They run in the snow and all that. He goes the absolute best place you could be in the world is a dog on the Iditarod trail. You know, you have trainers, masseuse, you have vets. You get yes. fed. You know, whatever whatever the appropriate food is, and you know, twenty four hour care. He goes, I want to come back as a dog in the Iditarod trail. And, it, you know, we're laughing. I'm laughing about it a little bit, but I come from an industry where they've worked very hard to put put people out of business, hence why I'm doing the podcast. I want to tell stories about why we train animals, how we train animals, and also 
help people get a peek from experts behind the scenes that they don't hear from because we're drowned out by the multi-million dollars of my, the animal rights community. That's right. My, most people, you know, high school just carries into real life. High school, you have bullies in high school and primary school. Yeah. Those bullies eventually become bullies as adults as well. And really, high school just continues on as an adult. There's cliques, there's clans, there's yeah. gangs, <laughs> and there's bullies. Yeah. And I've always been against bullies. So if you back me into a call, I don't like to fight people. Think People think because of my personality, I just love to fight. I don't like to fight. But when you back me into a corner, I have no choice. Yeah. I won't be intimidated. I won't be backed down. But if you come for me, I will come after you. But I don't want to come after you. It's not my goal to create a confrontation. My goal is to just be me. I'll leave you be you. But let me be me as well. You know what I mean? So most people, unfortunately, are cowards. That's why they won't speak up. Because yeah. they are cowards. If everybody would just band together, you know, yeah. it's, I'll, I'll say it now. Fuck it. I'll get some heat, but I don't give a shit. Remember years ago when they banned the horse slaughter deal? Okay. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. That happened 15 years ago now. Okay. I remember I was at a tour when that went down and I did a public speech and I said, this is a bad thing. The horses are going to suffer from this. Right. Okay. When you take away this seal, horses are going to starve to death, be abandoned, all kinds of shit. It's going to drop the bottom of the market out. Oh, people got pissed at me. People walked out of this tour, got a ton of hate for it. I said, okay, motherfuckers, I've said peace. Let's just sit back and what happened. And well, that's what happened. Five, six years was a complete disaster for horses. Yes. Horses were abandoned all over the country. They were tied up to people. That was so bad. They were tying animals up to people's trailers and just driving off. Yes, they I heard that. Off. Yeah, I heard that. those stories. You, you know. know, that happened all the time. Horses were abandoned at sales. Horses were starved to death. See, when, you know, responsible people, if you have a horse that, that's no longer rideable, you see it out to the death. meaning you take care of it till it passes away. You look after it like you look after the elderly. Yes. Don't just discard it. So just because me and you will take care of the 35-year-old horse that has no technical use, meaning it can't be ridden anymore, doesn't mean most people will. In fact, they won't. Yeah. They won't. Most people will not spend money on a horse that can't use anymore. Me and you will. It's just called taking care of the animals that took care of us. Yeah. So it was a shit show for animals for five, six years after they banned that because now you had 100,000 horses a year that would go to the slaughter that just got abandoned now and starved to death. Yes. Now, I'm all for regulating the community. Absolutely. Regulate the hell out of the processing plants. I agree. Have a government agency standing on every corner. Absolutely. But what happened was now they just shipped the horses to Canada. They shipped them to Mexico. Oh, what, what kind of rules do you think are in Mexico, Heidi? Oh, I know. It's the old West. So now what you did is horses are still getting killed, except you took away all the protection of any regulation. Yep. Now they're just shipped fucking head to tail, a million on top of each other to a country that don't give a fuck. Think Mexico gives a fuck about animal rights? Oh, give me a break. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. I agree. Be a little bit better up there, but it, it made everything worse. Okay. Yeah. And I'll get some fucking heat. And I always tell people, I don't want to see any horse killed. Yeah. But remember something very clearly here. Horses that end up in the slaughterhouse are not well trained. You That's never right. see a $100,000 horse at the slaughterhouse. You know why? Because he's not there. 
Because the $100,000 horse that's well-trained is living comfortably in somebody's barn with 10 feet of shavings under its feet. That's right. So I always tell people, I, I want to save horses from the killer plant. So this is how you do it. You get it trained well. Train them. Keep it trained. And you make sure he doesn't end up being an untrained, bad problem horse. Because when one horse bucks somebody off, it gets sold to another owner. It bucks them off two or three times, gets sold to another owner. And after five or six people that have all been bucked off, it's not fixable anymore. Yep. So if it's not fixable and it kills people, you have a choice. Do I feed it for the next 20 years until it naturally dies or do I dump it? So what do you think most people do? They dump, dump it. it. Yep, absolutely. They dump it. So if you want to save horses from the kill pen, train them. make sure they end up there, which is take care of them, treat them good, train them right, and make them mine and they will never end up there. They never will. So I'll say again, I don't want horses killed under any circumstance. Agreed, yeah. But, but just because I don't want it doesn't mean it's going to happen. happen. Yeah. It is going to happen whether we like it or not. So if it is going to happen, regulate it. Make sure the horses are killed humanely. Make sure that they're treated right. Make sure it's heavily regulated. I'm all for that. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So if they made horse, they made for horses after that went down really fucking miserable. Oh, it was terrible. I saw it with, yeah. with my own eyes. I know. I, I agree. My One of the things I say on the podcast, there's emojis, right? We have the happy face emoji and the little care heart emoji. And then we have the angry face, the red face, and the tear. And pretty quickly we apply. And horse slaughter is a classic, the angry face emoji, you know. Yeah. It's all horrible. I always say coming from the place I do, that the solution or the information, even the dilemma, because you can't solve every problem, is in the middle. It's the thinking face. Hmm. Be thoughtful. Be curious. Want to know more, not just apply immediately emotion to something. And that's what we do. Um, oh, it's, it's kind of funny. If you said, if you said to 99.9% um, of people that really get upset about the subject, if you said, okay, are you willing to take on a five-year-old mayor that's a completely unrideable now. Yeah. Are you willing to take her on as a pasture pet and you're willing to feed her for another 20 years plus on your dime now? Guess what they'll do? Oh, no. Not me. Not my dime. Yeah. Not my problem. Come on, motherfucker. Put your money where your mouth is. You're right. all about rescue. Take them on. Yeah. Everybody that's against it, take on two killer horses and keep them forever. Trim Agreed. their feet, vaccinate them, do their teeth, do all their veterinary care. You got to do it forever now because it's five years old. It's already at the kill pen. It's five years old, so it's probably going to live another twenty, maybe more years. So take them on. Watch how quickly the hypocrites run. Oh back. yeah, absolutely. Watch absolutely. how quickly they run back with. Well, I'm not spending my hard-earned money. You know, Mindy's twenty-nine now. She's in rough wow. shape. Okay, but yeah. she's twenty-nine years old. Wow. She's got arthritis. You know, I'm in an uncomfortable position right now because. Because I, I got, I, I don't want to have to make that call. Do I have to put her down or do I not? You know what I mean? But I want her quality of life to be really good. Right. So we try to keep her pain free. We try to keep her happy. We try to keep the right feed in front of her that she enjoys to eat. Yeah. I make every accommodation for this horse possible to keep her comfortable in her life. You know, she, and she'll be dead in the next couple of months for sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. But, but I've got to make the decision. Do I want to put the love of my life down? No, I don't. But I sure as shit don't want her to suffer. Suffer, either. yeah. I don't want her to suffer. See, when people get to that stage as humans, they put us in hospice, 
They dope us up with morphine. So when we're in pain, they just morphine the fuck out of us until we go into a coma and we basically sleep it out till we die, don't we? Yeah, yeah. We can't do that to horses. We can't do it to dogs. I had to put another dog down last year uh, that was a, a part of our family. Mindy's been in my family for 28 and a half years. She's family. Yeah. So you've got to make those uncomfortable decisions. I haven't made it yet. Sure as shit, I'm upset about it. Okay, so would I like to think every horse gets that care? Yes. Yeah. They don't. They don't, yeah. They won't. Clinton, we can preach about it all we want, but people care typically about their fucking pocketbook more than what they care about horses' well-being. Yeah. So, again, get the horses well-trained, get back to the original point, so that they don't end up at the slaughterhouses. I tell people all the time, if I was a young teenager in America now, how I'd pay myself through college or how I'd make extra money is I would go to one of the million rescue places out there. And rescue places have good intentions. Yeah, they, I, I they do. Them, I try to help them as best I can. So this is how, because rescue people, rescue places need to adopt these horses out. So what I tell young people in their teens, especially if they've got a little experience with horses, and I don't tell people that are you know, brand new to horses do this, but if you've got a little experience and you followed my method, go to a rescue place, pick out a gelding or mare somewhere between four and eight years of age. Yeah. Try to pick one that's in relatively good shape, that know enough about the history that you don't think you're getting the next killer horse. Does that make sense? Something, yeah. Something that might have had a rough start, but you think it's fixable. Go home, train it with my method for three, four months, resell it. Yeah. Horses are so expensive now, Heidi, and so and, and good horses are so hard to find. It, you don't get hardly any money for less than ten thousand dollars anymore. Ten grand doesn't buy you shit in the horse industry anymore. Nothing. Right. They will give you the horse for free. Go to the rescue. Tell them what you want to do. Tell them you want to take the horse. You want to feed it, deworm it, trim its feet. You want to train it, and you want to then resell it to a good home. Yeah. Okay, and and get paid for doing all that training. So everybody wins. You make some money by training the horse. The horse gets a forever home or at yeah. least a good home. Yeah. Let's say that. And the rescue gets rid of a horse. Yeah. Don't they? They yeah. get one less horse on their feed bill. Everybody wins. Yeah. Now, I always tell them, if you go to a rescue, be honest. Tell them what you're doing. If they don't like you reselling the horse, tell them, no problem. I'll just go to next rescue. Yeah. See, when you're trying to rescue, when you're trying to adopt horses, you can't pick everything that suits you. See, you should be happy that somebody's going to make a profit and train the horse and send it to another home. But they're not all like that. They're not all all like that. They want to be these self-righteous motherfuckers. Well, I'm not going to let you make any profit. I'm not making any money. Fuck you. Is the goal to save horses or not? Right. Exactly. If the goal is to save horses and find horses great homes, let's get them in with people that will train them to be good horses and be good homes. Exactly. So again, I always tell young people, if a rescue one this with you, just go to the next one. They're a dime a dozen. So I I try to help rescue get horses off their feed bill into a good training program and then ultimately into a good home. Yeah, it's the best thing we can do. A teenage kid learns responsibility. He learns how to train a horse. He learns how to make money. He learns how to be an entrepreneur. Fuck, if I could have had this Heidi when I was a teenage kid, you know how much money I would have made doing this shit? Oh, my God. I was training horses for $50 a week and the happiest kid in the world to train my (laughs) friend's horses for 50 bucks a week. Because I thought I was stealing from them that I got to do it for free. I would have done it for free and still loved it. I know. If I could have figured out how I could make 10 grand and get to train a horse and learn, 
at the same time, holy shit, I would have done that all day long. But, but you couldn't get 10 grand for a horse back when I was a kid. Now in America, 10 grand, will, a horse that's well-trained with my method, that'll get bought up in a heartbeat. They don't care if it's got papers. They don't care if it's gray. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? They just care that it's safe, usable, and is not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. So that would be an easy flip to take a horse that you get for free and in four months train it good enough, six days a week, to sell it for 10 grand. You can actually get a lot more than that, but that's the bare minimum. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's an easy sell. So, I, you know, people will come at me, you know, Clinton's all pro this. No, I'm pro don't end up with horses in bad positions. Exactly. Exactly. And Clinton take care on that. of your old horses and take care of your old people. Old people and old horses deserve the respect to be taken well care of. They took care of you when you were little. Fucking wipe their ass when they get the 95. Take care of them when they're old and take care of your old horses. We need to take care of our animals and training them is the way to see them through that and then take care of them. So I appreciate it. Anything you want to add, Clinton? It's been a great conversation. I much appreciate it. No, no, I'm always good. I, I just respect you, respect your dad a lot. You know, what people don't understand about people that make living with animals, these animals are their living. We have to take care of them. That's right. Dead animals don't make you any money. Unhappy animals don't make you any no. money. No, yep. Dangerous animals don't make you any money. You have to take care of these animals, whether they're your dogs, your horses, your, your infants, you know, foals, old horses, young people, old people. You know what I mean? I, I have a soft spot for young people and old people and young horses and old people, yeah. you know, old horses. I always say the most valuable time of a horse's life is the first six weeks that he's born. You can teach more to a foal in six weeks about manners, correct, Agreed. how to behave, I'll tell you a little quick story if you've got a second. Sure. So when I first moved to Texas, um, just going back close to 15 years ago, I had to hire a new vet down there. And so I found a vet I wanted to work with and then and, and your own animals, again, accidents going to happen. So within the first two weeks, I have a foal that's about six weeks old, gets a cut on its shoulder, needs a few stitches. Nothing real bad, but needs a few stitches. So by my, my breeding program, by the time they were six week old, they were all halter broke. You know, mm -hmm. they knew the fundamentals. Absolutely. They, they weren't round penning and you weren't chasing them in a circle, but they could all yield their hindquarters, yield their forequarters. They could all back up. They all loaded on a trailer. Right. You know, most people would take a mare and baby somewhere. They lead the mare and the baby runs around like a fucking idiot. I was the complete opposite. I always used to lead the baby, let, let the, the man mare loose. And that bitch would stay right there. She'd stay <laughs> oh, yeah. right beside that foal. Okay. So when we go to the vet, I've got to hold the foal and my, and my ranch manager's got to hold the mare. So we walk into the vet clinic and the vet comes over and says, what do you need? Oh, he's got a cut that needs a few stitches. And he said, well, I'm just working with another horse. I'll, I'll be done in 10 minutes and I'll come over and do it. So I'm just standing there with this baby foal, six weeks old, the man standing, you know, pretty close to it. And this foal's just standing there. And I noticed the vet kept looking over at me, like he'd look at the horse and look over at me and look back at the horse. And he kept looking over at me four or five times. And I thought, that's fucking weird. Why does this guy keep eyeballing me? Because again, I don't know this vet. It's a new vet for me. Yeah. But finally, after 10 minutes, he comes over and he's got this bewildered look on his face. And he said, how old is this foal? And I said, it's six weeks old. And he said, I can't believe it's acting like this. It just stands here. It doesn't whinny. It doesn't move. It's behave. <laughs> he's polite. He said, he's, he's standing here like a 10-year-old broke gelding. And I looked at the vet and it was honest to God, my first reaction. I looked at the vet and I said, he doesn't know how to act any different. Right. I'll say it again. He doesn't know he's supposed to act like an idiot. Mm -hmm. So from the day he was born, we taught him two things. Don't fear human beings. We're not your enemy. 
You don't need to fear us. We're not your enemy. But you need to respect us. Right. Respect without fear is what we're looking for. We don't want fear. Okay. If it's all fear, it's not going to work. If it's all respect and they're frightened of it, it's still not going to work. You've got to have respect without fear. So I said, he doesn't know any other way to act. Right. That's a perfect example of where the first six weeks of a life, you can kind of ensure a lot of things that they don't end up at the kill pen Absolutely. because they don't become wild, belligerent, kicking people, being biting, all that type of shit. You know what I mean? So what he thought was extraordinary, my bet, that a six-week-old foal would stand there like a 10-year-old holt horse, I thought was expected. Yeah. So that's what I, I, my job in the horse industry was to raise the bar. Come Clinton, on, people. You Let's took the words the out of my mouth. My father preached that set the bar high, expect good behavior, and they will usually meet or exceed your expectations. That's both really people and animals both. And we, we lower the bar to meet the narrative now, and we yes. dumb it all down. And it's so dangerous for our animals because we're leaving them with no good future when we do that. so It's so dangerous for people too. Absolutely. Again, I would make a, I'll be the first to say, you know, people like to criticize me that I made a lot of money in the horse industry and they, they have comments like, well, Clinton, you're all about money. Not at all. I would have made five times as much money if I would have told people what they wanted to hear. Yeah, I that agree. Yeah. I, I would have, you know, I remember vividly, I did a tour one time in Kansas City. This would have been probably 15 years ago. And I'm preaching about when you're first new to horses, don't buy the two-year-old colt. The old broke mare gelding that's been there, done that, will build your confidence, teach you how to ride, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm preaching this kind of message throughout the whole weekend and, and just horsemanship in general. So I'm in line signing autographs at the end of Sunday. I'm exhausted. I've signed 15,000 autographs, taken photos. I've answered every goddamn question. I mean, I've, I give myself to the people when I go yes. to these two. You've been there, okay? So at the end of the line, towards the end of the line on Sunday, a lady walks up and she says, Clinton, I'm brand new to horses and I finally get it. I know what I've got to do now. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm like, awesome. What is that? And she says, I got, I'm going to get myself a two-year-old and I'm going to train it with your method and I'm going to do the cult starting and train it to be a good horse, etc." And it just deflated me because I just spent two fucking days explaining when you're brand new to horses. Right. Do not buy a green colt. Yeah. Green on green means black and blue. Green horse, green rider is a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. It just deflated me. It really did. I never forget this. I just wanted to fall on the ground. It's like, how fucking stupid can you be? What am I not getting? So I looked at the woman and I said, that's the most stupidest thing I've ever heard. And she gets but hurt. And I said, you don't need that cult. You need a 10-year-old mayor gelding that's been there, done that, walk, trot, canner, will build your confidence and yeah. teach you how to ride and teach how to be secure with your seat and build your confidence. Because you're not knowing anything about horses and a young two-year-old, it's not if you get buckled and hurt, it's just when yeah. and how bad is it and do you die or do you just become paralyzed? And I said, here's the deal. I said, do you have... Uh, uh, husband, wife, kids, grandchildren. She said, yes, I've got them all. And I said, you know what my goal is, is to make sure every time you go and walk a horse, you have a great experience, you smile, you have fun. And at the end of the day, you get to go home to your grandchildren. You get to go home to your husband and you get to go home to your family. Yeah. So what would be really easy for me now, please listen carefully, because she's still butthurt that I told her the stupid idea. As I said, 
If I was all about money, here's what I would tell you when you told me what you were going to do. I would say, ma'am, that's awesome. Go over here and buy my cult kit for $400. Yeah. Buy my hackamore and buy my stick and buy this and buy all this. And you go home and you're going to train that horse with my old starting method. And you're going to have a ton of success. You're going to be safe. Everything's going to work out perfectly. And guess what you would do if I said all that to you? She said, I'd probably go over there and buy it. And I said, yes. So I said, by me being honest with you and potentially hurting your feelings, I just lost about $600. But I'd rather lose $600, potentially hurt your feelings, but keep you safe, Yeah. keep you happy, make sure that you get the right horse, then be a traveling salesman and a snake oil, tell you what you want to hear, even though it's horrible advice, and I'll walk away with $600. Because mm-hmm. when I look at you, I said, you know what I see? I see my 63-year-old grandmother in front of me. Yeah. And she passed away now. I see her standing here. Would I want somebody to give her shitty advice? Would I want somebody to give my relative advice that made money that potentially would get them extremely hurt? And the answer is fucking no. That's the answer. So I have to be on myself before I honor my pocketbook. That was certainly a lively discussion. I always enjoy chatting with Clinton. One of the things I really appreciate is that he's completely forthcoming with information. I have seen him interact with his students at clinics and such, and he truly does give them all of his time and attention and answers questions. And I'm certainly not at Clinton's level, but I appreciate what's involved at that because it takes a lot out of you after a day at clinics. It's truly exhausting, but very very uh, fulfilling as well to help people. And I know that's at the base of what he's done with Down Under Horsemanship. Both he and I completely agree that the absolute best thing you could do for the animals in your care is to train them well, and that will secure their future and their well-being. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you'll follow along at Animal Tales Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review it. And please share these stories. It's really important for me to tell these stories. I hope you'll join me next time for more Animal Tales.